What are you thinking of? How? I'm thinking of how about a Friday, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I'm all out of love, air supply, saying I'm oh, all. We all God. know it, don't we? Don't we ever? Don't we, don't we ever? Is it, is, it, is it in your oh, t- top ten? Or? No. No. <laughs> Not anymore, Wallace, no. But hey, it was great at the time. It was great at the time, back in the late 70s. Anyway, um, it was released in 78, um, but for the international release, the legend Clyde Davis ordered changes to the song. Originally it said, I'm all out of love, I want to arrest you. By that they meant, I want to get your attention. And in Australia, nobody questioned it, number one. But Clive heard it says, nah, that's weird. (laughs) So he said, what about, I'm all out of love, I'm so lost without without you. you. That makes more sense. Yeah, and the songwriter said later, I don't know, but Clive called us on it and he was, he was right. right. Funny that. <laughs> it's 26 to 5. Anton Matthews and Julia Hartley Moore with me today. Just this. Ads that have had their fair share of complaints are nothing new. Many years ago, a Toyota ad sparked a furor when it ushered this word. Fucking me. That's right. That, yeah, now a major high-profile hepatitis C awareness uh, campaign has been pulled for showing the middle finger several times. There's no reason to feel judged for your past and every reason <laughs> to get tested and stick it to hep C. So the concept was apparently endorsed by health sector representatives and peer workers uh, as the most effective way to raise awareness for hepatitis C, but the middle finger... Too much around the panel on that. Anton Matthews, you first. Um, yeah, look, when I read the article, I thought, oh, yeah, middle finger. Yeah, that could upset. I mean, it doesn't upset me, to be honest. I've um, mm. got bigger things to worry about. But, um, uh, but when I read it, I thought, oh, yeah, that could upset a few people. And then I read that it was, um, it was quite clever, actually, because then it was actually promoting getting your finger pricked. And I thought, well, actually, that's quite clever. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, it did its job, didn't it? Well, it probably hasn't had an opportunity to really do its job. But if the job was to bring awareness to getting your finger pricked and getting tested for hepatitis C, I don't know. It's pretty pretty good, pretty effective advertising uh, or marketing, yeah. I should say. And so doesn't really, he, doesn't really upset me, to be honest, mate. Yeah, so know? here's the deal then, Julia, as Anton um, saying. Mm-hmm. We are discussing it. Are we being too prudish? I mean, well, we what, could, what, look, what in the middle finger? We could be. And I tell you what, it sounds better when you hear the ad than seeing it, to be fair. Because what happened was I saw it and then I'm just stuck on the fact it's a middle finger and I'm thinking, what if off? That's what that says, right? And I didn't get the message. I didn't get listen to what it was about. Oh, you're just stuck on the F off. I'm just stuck on the F off. So, you know... <laughs> But here we are talking about it. Um, because it is, I, it, is, it, it is quite confronting, isn't it, Anton? I mean, really, a two-finger salute you might get away with. But when you pull out the old middle finger, mm. if ever yeah, you do it... You're not really mincing the words, are you? No. <laughs> nice way to you know, put it, Anton. 
Well, you're not, you know. I mean, at least with the as you as you kindly put it, the two finger salute. I pre- I'm sort of imagining what you're what you're meaning here. But then I think if you flip it around the other way, it means peace, doesn't it? So you can kind of you oh, sort of got a, a get a, ja- a get out of jail card, and you can flip it around. But one finger salute, flipping the bird, pulling the yeah. finger. Um, I'm not sure if there's a double meaning there. It sort of yeah. only means one thing. But you know, like I said, I yeah, uh, clever, clever marketing. Um, it's a big issue, isn't it? Hepatitis C. So I mean, if yeah, it's, exactly. if that's what it takes to kind of get it on people's radar and take it seriously, then a pretty small price to pay. But I can understand why people are upset. Very good. Yeah, kia ora. Uh, Four thirty-seven. The panel RNZ National. Well, the Reserve Bank found a trial of regional banking hubs has not been successful, describing them as less than effective, quote-unquote. The information was released to One News under the OIA. These hubs were set up a couple of years ago as a partnership between the government and the New Zealand Bankers Association on behalf of the six major banks. Uh, And the idea was that they would replace standalone banks as your local bank service was being withdrawn. So they're now in places like pharmacies or community centres. Um, and it has, it's been a big issue, especially in some rural or regional centres. In fact, it's created quite a bit of an uproar in some areas. So with us is Dr. Claire Matthews from Massey University, whose interests include uh, the banking sector. Dr. Matthews, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. So not has gone all to plan with these much-talented banking hubs. Uh, they'd be disappointed? Uh, well, I wasn't really surprised. I oh. questioned the value of them really from the start um, because they're very technologically focused and that tends to be where people have a problem. Yes, because the whole idea, isn't it, was uh, – and let's go back to the original issue, Claire. People love their connectivity with – there's something about the local bank that people still seem to love. Well, that's right. Um, people want to go into a branch and they want to deal with a person and the hubs really weren't designed to do that. They were providing a place where you could do your internet banking or you could maybe get some cash out of an ATM or maybe do an online meeting with somebody to discuss a loan, for example. Yeah, so some of the issues included lack of privacy, safety concerns, unresponsive phone support and unreliable out-of-action service. None of these are really good, Claire, particularly, in my humble opinion, uh, unresponsive phone support. If you, want, <laughs> if, you want, if you want support, you need someone to be there to at least pick up that phone. Absolutely, and my understanding is that with the extension that they're now proposing, um, so they're opening it in four more places, I think, in next year, and they're going to extend the type of service that they're offering. A large part of that is going to be about having somebody there that you can actually deal with and talk to as opposed to just rely on the technology. There'll still be technology as a key focus, but there'll be somebody there that will have a bigger role to assist um, and provide that support. So I'm going to be honest with you, Julia. Uh, I can't quite recall the last time I went into a bank. I'm quite okay dealing online mm-hmm. what about you oh it's totally i can't remember when i went into a bank i think well i do remember because they mucked around so much that i had to go back about three times and i gave up so um <clears throat> no right. and i prefer to just do things online but here's the thing wallace what worries me about these hubs and i think they're stupid um is that you know you've got to think of people's safety and also we are seeing scams the amount of people you know there's cameras above Good your point. hand now there's cameras every side there's these 
groups going around that are p- putting up cameras that you can't see. So it, whenever you even go to a cash machine, put your hand over when you're putting your PIN number in. No matter where you are or when it happens, just do that. And you look at the people that have been attacked, you know, elderly people that have taken money out and have been attacked. So what are you, what are you saying? Well, I just think you've got to be super careful okay. now. And these hub things, I don't think, are much chop. But, you know, for anyone, just be very mindful, even at an ordinary ATM. Stay there, Claire. Let's bring Anton in. Uh, oh, look, I totally agree. I, I Look, I personally don't go to banks. I can't remember the last time I went there for a personal reason. We do a little bit of banking, you know, with businesses, uh, with our business just dropping cash off and yeah. all the rest of it. But even that's becoming a thing of the past. It's actually really, really hard to actually bank cash these days. Totally. Um, so, yeah, we're having regular conversations around, you know, not if but when are we going to go cashless. But I totally understand that there are people out there who rely on the banking system and, you know, this um, – this kind of, I don't know, alternative doesn't really be, it's not really hitting those people, is it? Because no. the whole reason they don't like doing online banking is because they don't like technology. So yeah. providing an, a technology, uh, you know, a, an alternative that is still technology Te- is not really going to be mustered. Mike, uh, Mike just hates it. He says, we elderly want banks with real people. Yeah. Everyone believes that everyone is computer literate. Uh, and I guess that's the nub of the issue, Claire. There is a, uh, when it comes to the rights of peoples, uh, we need to include everyone, particularly in banking. Oh, absolutely. It's really important that everyone has access to banking services because in reality, you can't operate in New Zealand without a bank account these days. And so you need to be able to manage that. You need to be able to access that. And the reality is, too, that mostly that's going to be via technology and most people can manage that. It's just a matter of giving them the time. And sometimes if you've got somebody in a in a banking hub, for example, that can provide you with support and assistance to do it all, that may be sufficient to provide that service. Um, but it is really important that people have access to banking services. No. By the way, Claire, I, I was wondering of a good time to bring this up because we did get a bit of response last time we talked about it, uh, just saying, well, where can you go to help? You know, Citizens Advice Bureau. But I went to the local library, it was the Blockhouse Bay Library, and they had, they ran uh, education lessons on things like um, online banking. If you're not familiar with it, of any age, um, go in and there'll be tutorials. And I thought, what a wonderful forum that is, Claire. And I'm sure that other libraries across the Mortu do that as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, libraries might be doing it. And one of the advantages of the library, too, is that they actually have computers that you might can access if you don't have a computer at home. So they're publicly right. available, moderately secure services. Um, so if they're providing a, uh, an ability for people to do their banking um, and to learn how to do it, then that's obviously going to be useful. But there's a number of organisations throughout New Zealand that offer various types of education for people about how to do online banking. Very good indeed. Uh, Dr Claire Matthews, kia ora. Uh, Claire is from Massey University, a banking expert uh, there. And look, do uh, check into your local library and just ask uh, the, the person uh, at um, the counter there whether or not they do run uh, courses because you never know what you can get at your local library in terms of tuition or things you might not know, Julia. Well, well also, I mean, right? Oh, sorry. Anton, sorry, go for it. No, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I'm just sort of thinking about it now. If this was a really big um, problem, and I understand it's a big problem for a few people, but if it really was a big problem, you know, it's a good opportunity for one of the banks, um, could be one of the big four or one of the regional ones, to actually go, all right, well, because, I mean, banking's pretty much the same across the borders, isn't it? But mm. if you can go, well, here's, 
here's a point of um, this is how we're going to sort of differentiate ourselves from everyone else. We're actually going to put a person in the regions, all of the regions, and we're going to ah. serve, go back to good old fashioned service. Um, you know, I mean, if it was really a, a big issue, then I, I presume all of the people who don't like these regional hubs would all go and bank with that particular bank. Eh? So perhaps it's an opportunity for someone to step up and fill the void. Apparently there's a void there. Go and fill it. Fair point. He's clever, this, fair this, point, fair this point. man. Yep, yep. No, no, no doubt. That's why we have him on the panel, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, now, um, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, I'm an older person and rural with no reception for home or computer banking. The hub at Martinborough Library has been a godsend, says this person. So uh, this person loves the Martinborough Hub uh, at the library, and Tom says SeniorNet provide training on devices and banking apps. 15 to 5, the panel, RNZ National, lovely to be with you. Trust in the media. Do you have it? It's been quite an issue in the past few days, what with the talk of future broadcasting, especially centred around this TVNZ-RNZ merger. Many and varied views on that one. Uh, some supportive to strengthen a strong public media to counter disinformation. Others see it as unworkable and, well, a waste of $320-plus million. Uh, general trust in news in Aotearoa is worryingly still shrinking, and trust in news in search is falling, say the authors of a report. Now, RNZ is the most trusted brand, but it is in steep decline, quoting the AUT report here. With us is Dr. Greg Treadwell, Senior Lecturer and Head of the Department for Journalism. Dr. Treadwell, kia ora. Good to have you on. Ah, kia ora. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Why is it important to have trust in media? I'm just thinking, you wake up to your favourite radio, your TV show, your site or your paper, where does trust come into it? Isn't it just the situation or the station that you like? You just turn it on and you enjoy listening to it, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, well, that is the day-to-day experience of, of media consumers, if you yeah. like. Um, but overall, of course, all those different news organizations and those moments where citizens connect with information that matters, those all make up a, a, a th- admittedly theoretical idea called the public sphere. And if the public sphere uh, is trusted, then, you know, democracy is reasonably healthy, or at least it's in a healthy place to start discussing the issues that face society. But if the public sphere, which is the agglomeration of all the media, um, is not trusted, uh, then we lose, if you like, the the table we all play at, uh, where we can have disagreements, where we can, right. uh, you know, even, even serious disagreements. Uh, but if you don't trust the forum in which the disagreements are being discussed, then are you going to, are you going to trust the outcome of those, um, discussions? So, so we need people to trust the news. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, well, that across the world, the Western world at least, there's also an, an understanding that a healthy skepticism of the media isn't a bad thing. Um, you've got yeah. to choose the news that, that, as you say, the news that you trust. So uh, there is an element of personal choice in there, of course. But overall, if trust is falling, as our research shows, uh, then the question is, well, if we're, if we're falling at sort of 3 to 5% a year, how long before there's no trust? Yeah. Um, I, I, but, I really, but, the, but that's the... not really the issue, frankly, because even though Willie Jackson sort of got it wrong in Parliament, a couple of days ago when he said, you know, they need to merge Radio uh, NZ and TVNZ because people don't trust the media. I mean, he, he, that's a very shallow take. And, it's, it, you know, I can tell you why I think it's a shallow take if you like. But, but really, that's not adequate. Um, and the trust research we've done uh, gives you some indicators. But to really understand trust in news, you've got to look a lot more deeply than just how people, what, what people say they trust. 
Yeah, it's a, such an interesting uh, um, uh, report, uh, and it's quite in-depth. I'd love to go into it more, but I want to also get the opinions and questions from our uh, panellists as well. Sure. Julia, uh, is trust in the media – I mean, is that an issue for you? No, is it's your- not. No, it's not, because I pretty much – well, I think you got to look. You look at the news, and you can you 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 know that that's when you believe most things. I think you've got to be sceptical to some degree, but um, I do think there's times when things are sensationalised um, too much. But otherwise, I mean, I think you got to use your own common sense. But the, I think the news is the news, and you, you you it's if you look. See, I just don't read the news here. I read it all around the world. I want to make sure I know what I'm what's. What I'm seeing, Greg. The news is the news, but it seems like Julia gets a um, broad spectrum of opinion. Oh, indeed, and that's important. And I'm sure Julia is somebody who has very good reason to generally trust the news. And this is this is why I think that it's important we don't, as I think the minister did, just take the statistics around uh, trust in news at face value. I think right. we have to look a lot more deeply than that, because what we've discovered is that the falling trust in news and let. let not forget that the first thing you do when you investigate trust in news is get people to say, do you trust the news? But that's self-reported trust levels. Uh. And, we, and, through, and, and actually, if people didn't trust the media to the extent they say they didn't, they wouldn't read it or listen to it or watch mm. it. And we know they do. So mm. when people say they don't trust the news, for me, largely what they're saying is I'm disappointed in the news rather than I don't trust it. But uh, we've also a little bit more than uh, work, uh, research work beyond the initial self-reported trust scores, and we find very quickly that the fall in trust in media is related to the fall in trust in social institutions generally. So if, uh, you, want okay. to, if you want to improve... Yeah. So a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, wrongly in my view, see the media as part of the establishment. And, of course, journalists hate to hear that because their job is to challenge the establishment. But right, a, lot of the, a lot of the public now see the media as part of the establishment, and if they don't trust the establishment, then they don't trust the media. Let's bring in uh, Anton. And, uh, Anton, what of this? And is, is the same question that I asked Julia, is trust in media, how you consume it, an important thing for you? Um. I mean, it's important. Of course, it's important. You want to trust the, the sources and, you know, the, where you're getting your information. I mean, it is interesting. I, I follow a little, you know, from a from afar, I sort of follow American politics because I find it quite entertaining what goes on over there. Um, but it's interesting watching some of the things that unfold over there. And you can you can watch one channel and you can walk away with a certain set of facts and you, walk, and you flick over to the next channel and it's completely, like, polar opposite, different. And so it's not a surprise, you know, for when I when I hear that people generally just don't know who to trust anymore. Um, and I think your point that you made about the media being part of the establishment is, um, you know, it, it is true. And, and Radio New Zealand, um, well done for being the most trusted. I, I trust you, Wallace. You're a trustworthy person. Oh, good um, on you, Anton. But, yeah, absolutely. And all you not, not all is rose in decline, apparently, as well, but we are still trusted. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, the fact that um, Radio New Zealand TV, TVNZ are, are owned by the government, um, I think people probably see that you know, that um, although you do a very good job of holding them accountable, as being part of the establishment. And when there's all of the misinformation around uh, and, and there's some very divisive issues, it's not hard or not surprising that people don't trust the media as much as they once did. Um, yeah, look, I'm not sure how you fix it, though. There's just so much information out there, isn't there? Well, that, whew, that really is. Um, that's a point that actually hasn't been made. The, 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 the incredible... Um, 
flow information, Dr. Treadwell. But look, the US, uh, Anton picked up on the US. The US is really interesting for me, especially post-election. There appears to be this whole segment of society that is almost, let's call it, let's call it BF, beyond fact. Was yeah. the election stolen? Yes. Was COVID a hoax? Yes. And some outlets, even semi-mainstream outlets, reflect that. I mean, is this a worry? And is this a worry for Aotearoa? Yes, it, it absolutely is a worry. Um, disinformation, which is distinguished from misinformation because disinformation is deliberately placed in the public sphere to confuse or disrupt. So disinformation, the deliberate spreading of falsehoods, is an absolutely huge issue and probably why you, the USA has in part, uh, sorry, has the lowest level of trust in, in its media down at 29%. So, so disinformation, which is most strongly in, in America, um, is heading this way, as we know. And the protests in Wellington were fed by disinformation. There's some, a wonderful uh, project called the Disinformation Project uh, being run by academics in New Zealand. Uh, and we're looking into this stuff. And, and if people want to know a little bit more about this, I can't. Uh, I, I strongly recommend um, a document called The Oxygen of Amplification, which gives journalists uh, um, some guidelines on how to report on disinformation without spreading. And that is, you know, Paula Penfold's documentary, Fire and Fury, was a good example where she refused to give the people she was reporting on right of reply, which, of course, is a huge ethical issue for journalism. That was a very ethical issue. What did you just on, on that? What did you make of that? No right of reply. Well, I'm on Paula Penfold's side. Um, while not everybody is, uh, and uh, there were some, some interesting comments from other parts of the media where they say, if you don't give them rights of reply, then you only feed into their uh, views that you're part of the problem. Um, but if you do give them right of reply and the oxygen of amplification, which has been put out by an organization called Data and Society, that document explains that if you... If you, um, that you're, you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. If you don't respond as, a, as journalists to the disinformation, you create opportunities for more disinformation. But if you do, you're largely playing into the hands of the disinformation merchants who don't care whether you no, agree okay. with them or not. They just want it put out there on, on, in the media. So, so there are some rules and guidelines now for reporting. We teach this at AUT to our journalism students now. Uh, so, some rules and guidelines around when to report disinformation and when not to. Uh, okay. And it's a very tricky, it's a very tricky choice. Yeah, I can imagine. Being a journalist is more tricky now than possibly ever before. Very good. Uh, Dr. Treadwell, kia ora. That's uh, Greg Treadwell. He's a senior lecturer and head of department for uh, journalism. Do you trust the media? Is trust important for you? Well, we had a lot of uh, discussions this week surrounding mental health awareness week. Uh, and we were to discuss um, issues around Te Ao Māori approaches because earlier this week, Hapai to hold a Māori public health rolled out this really interesting campaign specifically encouraging Māori to discuss and nurture their mental health. It was called Whare or Fiti Ora. And we have been trying to get the general manager there who um, is just unavailable at this stage. But it gives us a couple of minutes just amongst ourselves to really come back, I guess, um, and and re recap the week to discuss mental health and the theme being reconnecting. Uh, and I wanted to sort of bring up, um, actually with you, Anton, um, a, a couple of questions that I wanted to actually discuss with um, uh, Hapa Te Haura. How might, in your view, uh, a te ao Māori approach to mental health differ from uh, other, other perspectives, if you like? Um. 
Well, look, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it might differ from other perspectives because, you know, not, not everyone sees mental health the same. What, what yeah. I can say about a Te Ao Māori approach to, to health in general is that it's, it's very holistic, you know, and so Mason Jury's Whare Tapawha models, um, you know, he, he talked about that, created that a long time ago, but it's still held up as an excellent model of health. Uh, talks about the four kind of walls of health. Um, Tahafano, so all about bringing your family and your uh, connecting with people, tahawaidua, so spirituality. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a religious person, but having some spirituality, whatever that looks like. Um, tahatinana, physical health, and tahahinengaro, that's your mental health. And I uh, was having a quick look at um, this model that you're talking about here. Uh, it talks about nga pou e rima. So it talks about five pou, five different sort of strands or poles um, that, that hold mm. up health. And, and, and they talk about ngako, emotional. Um, and I don't think necessarily that uh, Mason Jury's model covers off narco emotional, perhaps sort of in the spiritualities, but but it is important, you know, your emotions. We don't like to talk about it, especially as men, because, you know, it's, yep. it's seen as a sign of weakness. But honestly, um, it's so important. And that's what I was Absolutely. talking about earlier on at the top end of the, of the show. Speaking with um, Stan Walker, Pity Wepu, I mean, Pity Wepu, 2011 World Cup, the guy's a hero. Yep. And here he is. Uh, laying it all out in front of you know all of these people at this at the show talking about mental health, his emotions, uh, the roller coaster. Amazing! It's so important. We have to get used to talking about it. We and, have to get much better. Yeah, you know, Anton and Julia. You know, the, the theme is reconnecting. That's the theme this week. And you know what? This is the first time. I've seen you in two years, and, and in a sense, we reconnected, haven't we? We totally have. Because I so love you being here, and I so and love I, being I really here. Missed, I really missed you, and here you are today. <laughs> hey? I, know, it's, I just feel so privileged to be here with you and Anton. And I, do you know what? What Anton's saying there is just what applies to everybody. It, it's something we all should do. All those, all those different things. Here we go. Oh, yes, no, me here <laughs> Anton and Julia. You've been wonderful. Thank you to Sam Hollis, my wonderful producer. We're not all out of love. We'll be back on Monday. Checkpoint is next.